0: It's is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul
1: Gallant.
2: The, show, the, show, the, show.
0: the Mariners count down to the trade deadline. The Seahawks, I guess we're counting down to the regular season right now. It is Danny and Gallant this morning. It is Thursday, July 29th. We are... Less than 48 hours in front of the Major League Baseball trade deadline. We're less than 24 hours into the start of Seahawks training camp. Our coverage of training camp brought to you by pre Home Fitness. And it's a little bit of good, there's a little bit of bad, and a whole lot of uncertainty, Paul, when it came to the Seattle Seahawks.
1: Yeah, the uncertainty is on a positive note about Jamal Adams. And he's there. It's just a matter of when's the contract going
0: to get taken care of. I was thinking that was the good. Oh. The the good is that Jamal Adams is there and that it sounds like it's full steam ahead when it comes to his contract. Here's Pete Carroll when he was he was asked about that. The conversations have been ongoing
1: for some time and been very amicable. Um, he's in a good good place. You
0: know, they, they've, they've worked really hard to this point. I'm, I'm very hopeful that it's going to get taken care of here soon, very soon. That's the good part. If this wasn't going to get done, I don't think Jamal Adams is there right now. And he's not practicing. That's not a surprise. A, when Bobby Wagner was waiting to get his extension done two years ago, he didn't practice before it got done. The other thing is Jamal Adams coming off of surgeries to his, what, shoulder? Both his hands? He might not be ready to practice anyway, so it's kind of like there's nothing really lost, and the fact that he's here is significant.
1: I'm with you there. I guess it's uncertain as far as when he would be back with the team, but that's pretty much it. And the glowing way that Pete spoke about him there does not sound like there are perhaps any issues between Adams and the Seahawks it's going along smoothly at least at least as smoothly as these contract
0: back and forths go there are some there are some negotiating points to be ironed out but it sounds like everything is yeah. on track i count that as the good I can't. Okay. There's been no. There's been no lobs in the press about him being underpaid or them not recognizing what they had. There's been no posturing on either side. I'm gonna. I'm gonna chalk that up as the good because I thought there was the possibility for that to to go sideways. Okay. I, I def. I definitely thought. I didn't have any doubt about it eventually getting done. I thought there might be some pain in the interim.
1: I'll say, as far as for me, the good that they have ninety of ninety-one players vaccinated is pretty impressive and forget what you might think about it it's all about availability for this team and you would think that much like last year they are going to have the best possible chance that they can of not seeing any guys randomly missing in action because of a COVID-19 positive test
0: Pete talked about in needing to increase the frequency of tests for vaccinated players and he made the point that hey that the league the league standards are once every two weeks we're asking guys to get tested more frequently, basically because the situation's changed. You're seeing Pete take the same. I don't think it was an accident that Seattle was one of the last teams to have anyone suffer uh, either COVID infection or be sidelined because of concerns they'd been exposed to COVID last year. And it sounds like, Pete is taking the exact same approach and trying to get the exact same level of buy-in from his team this year.
1: He probably should because it did seem like the NFL was testing players once a week and I think hoping for the absolute best as far as availability on a Sunday-to-Sunday basis. So this time around, maybe you are a little bit more... Avant-garde, I guess, when it comes to making sure that if you find somebody who, even if they are vaccinated, tests positive, that way you can remove them from the situation and prevent any further infections.
0: The bad. The bad part, the bad news yesterday was that Dwayne Eskridge was on the physically unable to perform Uh, list. He's got a bad toe.
1: What is up with the second-round picks here, Danny? What is up with just the unfortunate luck? Is this the cost of DK Metcalf falling to you? Because it is... Now back to back years where a second round pick that's got a lot of buzz around him is likely not going to be available for you, at least in the short term. And if this gets as bad as it did with Daryl Taylor last year, I man, I hope it doesn't turn into
0: an all year thing like it was for him. I generally go with the when when guys get hurt, it's not any round jinx that they have. It's that football's a really violent game. True. It's really hard to stay healthy. <laughs> it's really hard. It's very, very difficult. Dwayne Eskridge missed time in the offseason, if you remember, and it was because of a toe. And Pete Carroll clarified. He said it happened during a walkthrough, which is a little bit confusing. And there are there is not a bigger misnomer in sports injuries than turf toe. Like, they say it, and it sounds like you stubbed your toe. And that's a toe injury is not that at all. And it's, it's brutal for players. And for someone who is a wide receiver, who uses their feet... Ha- I'm not panicking. I'm not like, oh my god, this is terrible. This is not the situation with Daryl Taylor. This is is not some sort of you drafted him with a problem that you thought should have been fixed by now and is still there. But that's not good news.
1: No, it's not. And combine this with the fact that they supposedly were talking with D.D. Westbrook, former Jaguars wide receiver, this past week that means that there was concern enough to potentially look at somebody who has had real-world experience as a receiver in the NFL. Now, they did not sign him, so maybe that's also a promising sign that they didn't pull the trigger and think to themselves, yikes, this situation is one that we need to have somebody else as an alternative. But they did at least explore the option of D.D. Westbrook, who's since signed elsewhere.
0: The fact that they're looking at another receiver does certainly give you the idea that, okay, we might not be fully set at this position. If what Eskridge is unavailable for an extended period of time, I would expect that the answer comes from within. Whether that's Freddie Swain getting more opportunities, or it's a couple of the younger, what there's the dude named Penny and there's the guy named Cody and a bunch of other guys. Yeah, who I've I, yeah Penny Hart is probably the first up in there. Here, here's the problem though. The big pro- receiver is a difficult position to get ready for as a rookie. There is a huge yep. gap, and I feel that a lot of times you see guys. Not every guy a lot of guys get lost in that rookie season. You need if you're going to have an immediate impact as a rookie receiver, you need every bit of the opportunity, especially in a year where there wasn't a full off-season of team oriented workouts. When you had Seattle's veterans show up for kind of a, a week's worth of work as opposed to a full month of off-season training. You need every bit of that. And Dwayne Eskridge at least he's not going to get didn't get it yesterday, and you probably don't expect seeing him on the field in the next couple days. That's a bummer.
1: Now, you were here for this, and this was slightly before I came here. If I'm not mistaken, DK Metcalf had some preseason issues. I don't know if they were as serious as turf toe. At least in I, his rookie season, and he was able to make things happen that year. But I'm with you for the most part. I, I, Metcalf just might be a truly special player.
0: Yeah. That's that's not good news. That's, right. that's not a good sign. If there was, you asked me what's the worst thing that happened yesterday, it, it was that it, it was that Dwayne Eskridge was not out there practicing. On the PUP. And that what was said to be minor over the offseason clearly isn't just a minor, hey, nope. he needs to heal up. There's, there's some uncertainty. He's on the physically unable to perform list going forward. So is Travis Homer, but that's a calf injury. And then there's one of the rookie linemen that they signed, an undrafted rookie lineman who's having sports surgery. Otherwise, the Seahawks look incredibly healthy. The uncertain, and I still don't know entirely what to make of this, is Dwayne Brown. Mm. Dwayne Brown's here. Dwayne Brown did not practice. Pete Carroll, when he was asked about Dwayne Brown not practicing, very specifically, multiple times, talked about his age, resting him, taking care of him, never mentioned his contract. The NFL Network, as he reported, that he wants a new contract. Pete was then asked very directly about Dwayne Brown's desire for a new contract. Here was his answer.
3: There's still any talks contract with <laughs> him? We're not talking right now about that.
0: Oh, wow. Nip that one in the bud very quickly. And I, when Pete said that, he's talking about answering questions from reporters about it. It doesn't mean that he's not talk, they're not talking to Dwayne about it, but they're not going to have a public discussion. I don't know what to make of that. Is it I don't know what team? to make of that. Well, it could be that they're not going to talk about it until they're generally pretty open when they're talking to players like Pete doesn't do the, hey, we don't talk about you won't talk about contract specifics. But think about what he said about Jamal Adams. Exactly. We're very close. We're moving along. The fact that he didn't acknowledge, I don't know if that's because, hey, that's not something we're that's not a road we're going to go down with this player or if it's, hey, that's the next thing that's up after Jamal deal, Jamal's deal gets done. It's 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 a little. I don't know. I don't know what to make of Seattle's position on going forward and whether or not they're going to sign Dwayne Brown to an extension if they're going to if they are going to extend that contract.
1: I don't either. And I look at him and I see a guy that is basically their only option at left tackle for not just this year but next year as things currently stand. Because I don't see how they get another one. So it's a very I think delicate walk that they are going to have to make. Maybe that's why Pete made those comments. Maybe Pete doesn't want to give any room for perhaps some
0: discontent to rankle itself in between the two parties. It's Danny and Gallant. We've got front-page news. We'll ask the professor about Dwayne Brown's contract. That's coming up in five minutes. This,
2: this is the front page. Today's
0: top two stories and why they matter. Every morning at 710, get what you need to know to start your day. Right now. right now. Mariners lost the finale of their series against the Houston Astros, and the Astros came in here every bit as offensively potent as advertised. Yeah. Astros knocked knocked the Mariners around in this series, and the Mariners won the first game with a really admirable comeback. We'll get into, was this a case of the Astros being better, the players being deflated, or the front office making a mistake in the timing of the Kendall Graveman trade? We'll talk about all those things coming up. But the bigger news in in baseball right now is the trade deadline. Joey Gallo goes to the Yankees. Really significant deal there. The Mariners weren't interested in another outfielder. For the Mariners, you've heard things. They're sniffing around Craig Kimbrell. And they were interested in Jose Berrios, who is the Minnesota Twins ace. Now, it sounds like the things have not gone farther with the Twins. But Berrios is signed through next season. If you could get him, that would be adding somebody to the front of your rotation.
1: Also, Kimbrell signed through next season as well.
0: He I'm not is, as pumped about Kimbrell. He is Am expensive.
1: No, I'm with you. He's going to be 34 next year. He costs $16 million both this year and next year. Now, money's not an issue for you at this point in time. You're not paying anybody. But Kimbrel does help you in the short term. Long term, it doesn't. Berrios is somebody that I agree with any starting pitcher especially somebody that you have under control for at least one more year that is I think what you should be prioritizing in the coming days over a bat over a relief pitcher as well Kimbrel's the kind of move that you make almost to appease people right I mean if that's if you brought him in that's almost like hey we're gonna make good for moving on from Kendall Graveman to either the clubhouse or to the fan base
0: Kimberl has a better track record and probably is more predictable going forward than Graveman, But I tend to agree with you. The thing that would get me jazzed is if you get a starter. Yeah, Think that that would that would change the math on your pursuit of a playoff spot this year. The front, front page. page. Busy day for the Seattle Kraken yesterday. So they s- <laughs>
1: crack lack it indeed. They signed top goalie free agent, former Colorado Avalanche goalie Philip Grubauer to a six-year deal worth nearly $36 million. He was a Vezina finalist. For those who don't know, the Vezina Trophy is the trophy given every single year to the best goalie in the NHL. They also signed former Blues left winger Jaden Schwartz, a smaller le- uh, left winger, to a five-year, $27.5 million contract. He wanted to be closer to home. He's from Saskatchewan. And they are going to sign center Alexander Wenberg from Florida, they also made a trade, and this is one of the funny things about the expansion draft, Danny. You can draft a guy, and then you can trade him back to the team that you drafted him from. Heck yeah, you can. And that's what they did with goalie Vitek Vanacek, who they traded back to Washington for a second-round
0: pick after selecting him in the expansion draft. That's called robbing Peter to get paid by Peter. <laughs> it's like, it's it, it is it's the heat approach. Anybody who's seen the great bank heist movie, I'll steal your stuff, and then I'll sell it back to you. <laughs> Definitely, and it's funny, too, because it's also, like, government, uh,
1: government-aided. government It's a government-aided heist, and they're giving it back to you after the fact. Yeah, if you're feeling, if you're the Capitals, you're probably a little bit annoyed right now about that.
0: Now, I'll, I'll tell you what. The Kraken loaded up on defensemen. You're starting to see where they, they hope that their offense is coming from. They're going to pay for goals a little bit. And a guy to stop goals. Yes. Pick it up.
1: Grubauer is a surprise signing, too. That was... A shock to a lot of people in the NHL community. So, I look at this as an upset for the Kraken that they were able to land somebody of this stature. Most people did not think until like the last 24 to 48 hours that he was going to even be on Seattle's radar. So, that's a nice move by them. Hopefully. Long contract, that's for sure. Six years.
0: We might be seeing what was teased toward us that the declining salary cap across the NHL and the expectation of a huge cap crunch next year. Seattle's cap space is going to become a huge asset. It might create opportunities they, they didn't even see before coming. That is front page news. Now it's time to get to the professor. Lots of news all around the NFL. Here's our morning drive. John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. It's a
3: four-way battle, and there's only going to be three spots. Somebody has to go. The first and final word on everything Everything NFL NFL.
1: from the professor John Clayton. Clayton. They
3: scored 30 points a game. They're the best running team in football.
1: It's John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny Danny and Gallant. Gallant. Uh. Professor, day one of Seahawks training camp was yesterday. After the fact, we heard Pete Carroll talk in detail about negotiations between the team and Jamal Adams. He was very curt. When it came to talking about Dwayne Brown, what do you make of the discrepancy in the way that Pete talked about both of those potential contracts?
3: Well, I think I still get the feeling, even though again, they, it's been reported, it's not closed. I think something's going to get done, and I think it's, something's going to get done within the next week. Now, as uh, Pete did say, uh, even though uh, he was on the practice field. He wasn't uh, doing anything in practice, uh, you know, although he did some of the uh, walkthrough stuff and all that stuff. Is that uh, you know he wasn't going to do much anyways because he's coming off shoulder surgery and wrist surgery and everything else. But I think things are positive. In the case of Dwayne Brown, it's kind of more like a uh, you know veteran time off because he knows what he's doing. You know, once Adams gets done, they can start working on Brown. They're not going to work on Brown ahead of Adams, but I think that uh, you know. One at a time. You get Adams done first, and then you start to work on Dwayne
0: Brown. Do you think the Seahawks are interested and willing to extend Dwayne Brown? Because for me, that was a question. I could see Seattle saying, hey, if it's up to us, we kind of wait till the end of the season. Whereas Dwayne's like, I'm a vet. I, I've I, I'm I'm am getting paid as an average left tackle this year. I'd li, I'd like to see get a boost on that. Do you think Seattle's amenable to the idea of a, an, an extension? Yeah, I do because again he's too valuable for the offensive line. He's a leader.
3: He's a guy that it's a left tackle. He's still. You know, plays reasonably close to a Pro Bowl level, and you know what? What can you sign him for? Because I mean, what you look at is similar to what you see down with the Rams and Andrew Whitworth. I mean, you know, Whitworth, uh, you know, was en- you know, he ended up uh, at a little bit older, but he gets like about ten million a year. And so I don't think Brown's going to get much of a raise, but I think he can still get that ten million dollars a year and uh, get something that can satisfy him.
1: John, we saw Aaron Rodgers back in front of the media. He was wearing Packers colors, and he gave one of the more honest press conferences that you're going to see out of a quarterback. He named a bunch of veterans that the Packers either released or didn't resign in his career, gave a timeline of the offseason that he has been through, and he mentioned that he wanted to be a recruiter, and that he hadn't been allowed to do so, and that, When they decided to change the conversations about some of the things that he could do to recruit some guys, he felt tired of being a lame duck quarterback. Here is Aaron
2: Rodgers. If you can't commit to me past 2021, and I'm not a part of recruiting process and for agency, if I'm not a part of the future, then instead of letting me be a lame duck quarterback, if you want to make a change and move forward, then go ahead and do it. That obviously didn't happen. Uh, Like I said, it wasn't a draft day thing. There were conversations for uh, a number of months leading up to that post a draft. I think what basically happened was then they said, uh, we'll give you some money now. Let's see if we can throw some money at you. I said from the start, it wasn't about the money.
1: Professor, he made it clear afterwards too, that he's not a victim in this situation. At least he wants to that to be out there in the open. He was very transparent. What did you make of that long press conference? I, I thought it
3: was one of the most interesting one we've seen in years uh, because he, he was so pointed, you know, pointed to how much he's uh, upset with management, which, of course, we all knew. Uh, he pointed out, of course, that uh, I mean, and you think about it, it's like they've let so many good players go. Now, again, this is one I didn't dis- I, I did disagree with. I mean, he thought that Jake Kummerow, wide receiver, was the second best wide receiver that he had in camp last year, and he was upset that they cut him and didn't ask him about him. I don't know how good Jake Kummerow is. He's just kind of a journeyman wide receiver, but I mean, you think about the fact that in the last couple of years, Brian Balaga. The right tackle was let go. Corey Lindsley, the uh, center, Pro Bowl center, was let go. Uh, because, again, they didn't want it, They didn't get the money up to pay him. And then, of course, you look at the you know, wide receiver. I mean, uh, Randall Cobb ended up leaving. Now he's going to come back for a sixth-round pick. So uh, you can understand his frustrations, his anger, all those different things. And I think he even applauded the media because they said, you know, sometimes the media reaches out and tries to put stories together. And he says, well, I'll tell you what. From what they did this year in the off season, you know they did it right because there is problems right now that you can sense that uh, he had with the team. So no, I thought it was very pointed and very right, and I think that you can see that uh, you know he's not going to be a Packer next year. Uh, how they work that out, we'll see because they're still trying to. Figure out the last part of the contract, but in the end, I think uh, you know Aaron Rodgers is having his swan song in Green Bay, and at least he gets Randall Cobb back, but uh, he's not a happy camper.
1: I do wonder about him as a GM, especially because Brian Gutekunst this morning was asked if Randall Cobb is here just to make Aaron Rodgers happy, and Gudikunst's response: I think that's a big part of it. So a little bit of trauma yeah. still taking place, but. His evaluations of wide receivers are certainly interesting between Cobb and Kumaro.
3: Well, the the thing is, is that, uh, you know, say what you wanted by the general manager, but he didn't do anything to help Aaron Rodgers last year. I mean, he got nothing, zero. And that made Aaron Rodgers bad because, I mean, you can look at the fact that it's okay. They got Devontae Adams, who now is likely not going to re-sign with the team because Rodgers likely leaving. It's like, okay, so, and he also wants to be the highest paid uh, wide receiver in football and they're not going to do that and so you, you look at it and it's like i mean i just think right now he's doing a bad job as a general manager and uh it's not going over well it's not going to change the fact that he's going to stay as a general manager but in the end it's like a, you know aaron Rodgers isn't happy i know uh Zedaria
0: smith isn't happy with his contract nobody's happy there in green bay I would say this though: for all that unhappiness, they've sure won an awful lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard for me to say that Gudikunst. Look, I, I I I think the trouble that they caused by trading up to draft Jordan Love isn't 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 worth the upside that Jordan Love will be your successor quarterback because I think the moment you picked him, you put a ticking clock on Aaron Rodgers, and that should be sort of a a, a warning light to the Seahawks of anything that they feel about Russell Wilson. That no matter how much. How much drama that happens there? Don't draft another quarterback because as soon as that happens, you basically got a year before that situation becomes kind of untenable. But they have won. If I'm Gudiksen, I'm like, look, we didn't do such a bad job here, guys. Like we're continuing to win, and you want to be mad at me? I, my my most my most important criteria is not just to win now, but to win into the future. We're doing a pretty good job. Yeah, but also
3: it's like they're winning, and that's because of Aaron Rodgers. Because I think what you look at <laughs> is there an eight or nine win team. And, you know, you get four or five extra wins with the great quarterback. And so that, I think, is one of the big reasons and you know for example okay he did well on defense because he was able to get Preston Smith and Darius Smith and get a pass rush that was a great move by him two great great moves but then I mean you look at the fact that uh, okay you know they uh, they had to lose uh, Blake Martinez because they didn't pay him I mean he ends up going to the New York Giants you know he's a linebacker you know they end up losing uh, you know Rick Wagner right tackle I mean so and right now they're scrambling for offensive linemen. It. I mean, he had to sign Dennis Kelly today, who is uh, out there from Tennessee, uh, from the Tennessee Titans. So no, I think that uh, I just think he's doing a bad job. I mean, again, you can win 13 games, uh, but again, you win 13 games because you had a good team and you have a great quarterback.
0: He is the professor, John. We'll look forward to wrapping up the week with you tomorrow. Okay, thanks. That is John Clayton. You can also hear him in the afternoon with Wyman and Bob. A successful homestand Why doesn't it feel that way? We'll get into how the Mariners get back on the right track next. You're listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. It doesn't feel that way. But this was a successful homestand for the Seattle Mariners. They started it off 4 and 1 and yes, they lost the last two games, but Danny, they lingered around as they seemingly always do. In the last two, they had opportunities. Do you feel like there was a noticeable change in the last two games though? And I guess that's where a lot of people are looking at the end of this homestand, where after the Kendall Graveman trade happens, you have a game where the Mariners once again find themselves down big last, excuse me, on um uh Tuesday night and then Yesterday afternoon, they found themselves down big again. But they certainly had opportunities the rest of the way. I'm of the belief that the Astros are just better. But how do you feel? How do you read this coming out of the homestand?
0: I certainly think that the energy got sucked out of that clubhouse. And in, to some extent, out of the stadium. It's, it's always hard to tell because people were fired up when the Mariners started coming back. And it wasn't, it wasn't dead. But that Graveman trade really sucked the energy out of this team. I tend to agree with you that that is you're not competing with the Astros this year. You're really you're really not like you're not you're not going to finish better. That's if that's what all of this is premised on and the idea like do everything you can to beat the Astros this year. You're you're chasing really long odds. I I think there's less than ten percent chance. I mean, just how everything's going, how your team's stacked up, and how everything looks. It was it was a disappointment. They should feel really good about how they've played. They should feel really good about how how they've extended and gotten into contention and really done that on their own. that they're ahead of schedule because of the way the players have felt. I, I do feel that that trade sucked the energy out of a team that was four and one on the home stand. and they've they've got to put that back together. And really, I think that what happens next, it's most important who they add here in the next two days. It's it's most important who they add. Are they it looks like they're being really aggressive in reaching out and trying to find whether it's Craig Kimbrell, who they've reportedly been excited about, John Paul Morosi reported that Jose Berrios, the A, the twins ace starter, that's someone that they're pursuing, and it hasn't really taken hold. It doesn't look like that will get done, but they're the, the Mariners are very much pursuing that. I still think Erman Marquez is out there, Kyle Gibson from the from the Texas Rangers I think that can provide a boost back to this team, but I, I I felt like the energy was sucked out. In a way, it
1: was. I'm still of the belief they got to get over it, and I know that's easier
0: said than done, but they do, Danny, don't they? I mean, it's you, one You made this player. point, and I, and I thought it was good that this happens to teams. It happens. To, here's the specific issue that the Mariners are dealing with and I don't want to say this is on Jerry Depoto because it precedes him. The specific issue the Mariners are dealing with is that that feeling that oh, this always happens. This always happens. We become we trade we we become sellers at the at the trade deadline, and we shouldn't be sellers this year. Like we shouldn't be. And I agree with them about that. Now, I I think that this happened not because Jerry Depoto was like, hey, we're we're choosing the she'll look down the road rather than I think an opportunity came up that they decided yeah there's a lot of reasons not to do this right now because of momentum and this deal is too good for us to pass up and they pulled the trigger on it I I get the baseball deal the baseball value of the deal I think he's feeling the blowback for 20 years Jerry Depoto's feeling the blowback for 20 years of difficulty and struggle and I think that we're judging his trade deadline performance and this team's trade deadline decisions off the tip of the iceberg we haven't seen what they're going to do yet.
1: I think it's fair for the fan base to feel that way, right? I mean, it's 20 years. It's fair for the players to feel that way. Like, that's a a normal reaction. I I, I get the reaction. You know, you can't can't control feelings, right? You feel one way or another, and, and no matter what you want to present in front of somebody, they are probably going to feel the same way no matter what is presented to them. Perhaps even if they had been presented, Danny, with the transparency that it seems like some of the players wanted about what the trades were about and why they made them, but... Isn't the context with which they sold this time around a little bit different? And I I would just point to a couple of months ago, it just made a lot of sense, at least for us, sitting back, looking at Kendall Graveman as somebody that you would definitely move on from. Yes. You know, you take a look at some of the advanced numbers. This is not me necessarily justifying the trade, but some of the advanced numbers indicate a guy that has been very good, but has he been awesome? Has he been the kind of reliever that you would see – Acquired, I don't know, a couple of years ago, like an Aroldis Chapman or or some of the some absolute flamethrower. He's not he's not that. He's good, but we're talking like on a great bullpen. What is he at best? Second, third best arm on a great
0: bullpen. Yeah, he's a good component of your bullpen. And look, he's going to be a free agent. His contract runs through this year. And there's been, I, I don't know how to politely say durability issues because the dude is coming back and pitching from a neck injury like that's and it seems really crass to say well you're not sure how long but that's a re, that's a real fact and there was a there was a time before any of the covid availability questions he went a week without pitching and so i get it from the baseball perspective the part that i understand and I, that i think is a rational re- reaction by the players is they're like dude we just played our way to nine games above f- 500 we beat the a's in 3 of 4 we are everything that you preach about us becoming a tough team and controlling the zone and working walks and winning it out, and then we get to the point where, okay, everybody's behind this and we feel as good about this team, fans feel as good about this team as they have in 10 years, and you trade one of the guys that's a huge part of that for a player who's probably going to be more valuable to us two or three years down the road, and that stinks. Like that. That feels like you just, it, it feels like you yanked the rug out from under us. I know what Jerry DePoto's perspective... We'll talk to him at 8.30. Jerry's perspective is, you had an Astros team that was in deep need in the bullpen, and you got a unique opportunity here because of that. And to to, to not pull the trigger, like, hey, no, this is absolutely what you do in this situation. A lot of teams wanted Abraham Toro for what it's worth. Exactly. They got a good prospect for one pitcher they didn't want to pay anymore and another that they might have lost for nothing even in a best-case scenario at the end of the season. I wonder how the clubhouse
1: feels about the way Toros played the first two games because he has, again, two home runs. And, you know, I guess this would be my attempt to sell to the clubhouse what I just did if I were Jerry Depoto and I were forced to be transparent. I would say, look, our biggest strength is our bullpen and we just added a bat which is clearly our biggest weakness with one of the many options that we have in our bullpen. Now, you're right in that. You're, it's probably two to three years before you get what you want out of Toro. Maybe it's as soon as next year, just given that for J.P. Crawford, it just, you know, it clicked. And he was great in this series. He was 6-13. to But I, I think Toro, thus far, I'm hoping that he has changed some minds, that he has made some of these guys say, oh, wow, this guy's stepping right in. And he is just hitting home runs, and he hit a couple of home runs his last two games with the Astros, too.
0: I, I think that the biggest statement you can make in that regard is go get somebody else that helps right now. Go get go, go make a trade that is clear. If you trade for Jose Barrios, that is clearly a trade for right now. If you make a trade for Herman Marquez, if you get Kyle Gibson, those are clearly trades for right now. That would make the biggest statement. I'm with you there.
1: And I want to address one text, because this one's just stupid, and I'm tired of this. You guys acted like the Mariners kicked in the doors of the Astros' dominance earlier this week. Are we not allowed to enjoy a dramatic comeback victory over the course of 162? You know, and I don't think either of us said to any degree that this
0: was some sort of symbol of, like, a changing of the guard. It was an incredible oh, I comeback. I thought, they, I thought they planted <laughs> oh, no. the flag. I don't think they toppled them, but I thought it was a statement game about how seriously you have to take the Mariners. I absolutely did. You do have to take them seriously. I think more so going forward if you're Houston, but
1: they're not on Houston's level. I, I think I think we're Houston's all... a
0: better team right now.
1: Right, that's a team with a A's are probably
0: line. a better team right now. Mm-hmm. Although maybe you're you're going to be able to catch him. The A's are maybe a better, but Houston's a better team right now.
1: That is Danny O'Neill. I am Paul Gallant. It's Danny and Gallant. Seven ten ESPN Seattle. Coming up next, Seahawks guard Damian Lewis. He's moving from one side of the offensive line to the next. He's going into his second year. What can he tell us about Shane Waldron's new offense? All of that and more with the Seahawks guard.
0: You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now,
1: here are your hosts,
0: Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. We're going to be talking to Damian Lewis. Seahawks, right guard, no, left guard. Moving over to the other side this year, Seahawks training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. It's hard to remember, but for the first eight, Nine games last season. The Seahawks' offensive line was the biggest surprise, the pleasant, the pleasant story. And then in the off season, it became kind of the topic du jour with the question of whether or not Seattle protected Russell Wilson well enough over the course of his career. A little bit of distance. What was Seattle's offensive line last year? Hang an adjective on it. Seven ten, seven ten. The Issaqua the Mac and Jacks text line. What was what, what was it? What was it? I would say improved. Yeah. Seattle's offensive line last year was improved. I would have said better. And it took
1: marginal steps to get better. And it can continue to take marginal steps this season as well. I am a little concerned about a possible fall-off for one Dwayne Brown. I do wonder about the center position given what happened in the playoffs. And also uh,
0: given Ethan Posick off to the side at the beginning of training camp but it was a hamstring injury right but he's not on the physically unable to perform list like he's eligible he cleared his physical it was just that's probably less of a concern about his long-term availability because if they're worried about him going weeks without they would have put him on pup to
1: me it's more if someone gets hurt what happens when it comes to someone like that's just a reminder but I mean that's a lot of offensive lines across the NFL you could say the exact same thing about the Los Angeles Rams right now Um, I look at this team, with Lewis now going into his second year, as someone who's really interesting just because, not because of Tom Cable, he is moving from one side of the offensive line to the other, and how is he going to fit in that spot? Because obviously Gabe Jackson is going to be sliding in to the right.
0: Well, let's talk to him right now. Damian Lewis is with us here on the Issaquah Pest Control Hotline. He's coming live from Seahawks training camp. First of all, good morning, Damian. We're grateful for you taking the time.
2: Good morning to you, too. Does
0: this feel like the first day of a new school year? What does it feel like when you're reporting for your second NFL training camp?
2: Yeah, it definitely do. When I woke up yesterday morning, felt like school all over again. You know, had a little butterflies coming out here for the first time again. You know, seeing 12, you know, just spraying that. So it definitely do.
1: Damian, I've heard from some offensive linemen that switching one side of the offensive line to the other is sometimes like trying to write with your other hand. Have you felt that same way? What's been the biggest transition as you shift from right guard to left
0: guard?
2: Uh, I feel like the LSU did a great job of me preparing me, you know, for the play both sides. You know, I worked real hard at it this offseason. So, you know, I don't see it being a big transition, you know, just going back to the basics.
0: One of the things that I've always found enjoyable is Ed, Ed Orgeron, Coach O, worked for Pete Carroll. And I can't think of two personalities that are more, more different. They seem like very different types <laughs> yeah. of people.
2: You've played for both of them. Are there similarities? <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. You know, when you go to LSU, it's the same here. You know, the thing all about compete. So it's all about the ball. You're going to get the same energy from both of them. They're going to be fired up. And Coach O, you know, he's ready to go. It's just the time, you know, you get out there and just compete.
1: Our show has much affinity for, one, Ed Orgeron, and I
2: know it's it's in the rearview mirror, but do you miss his voice? Because, honestly,
1: <laughs> whenever he talks, it makes me smile.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, get out there every day. D-Lo, here we go. So, you know, we get out there, compete, you know, <laughs> to have fun. You know, it's the same here, though. You know, Coach Pete, he gives the a great energy, and we just get out there, and we love to come out here and compete.
0: You're moving to a different side. We're talking to Damian Lewis here, Seahawks guard. You also have Gabe Jackson coming in. What are your first impressions of him?
2: Oh, Gabe, a big guy, you know. I'm just here. (laughs) You're a big guy, Damian. You're you're a big
0: guy. So if you're saying he's a big guy, he's got to be huge.
2: (laughs) He is. You know, I'm just, you know, taking everything in, watching him close, you know, just looking at the details and just learning from him.
1: Who's the strongest offensive
2: lineman? Now, if I tell you that, I'm putting somebody out on friend Street, you know. <laughs> so you just going to have to wait on that one.
0: That's good. You guys, I, I think the I think the correct answer there is that the strongest guy is the unit. All five of you together or all right. ten of you together that ends up on the roster, right? It's not, not coach, how strong you right. are individually, but how strong you are together.
2: Yeah, it is right there. All five. Without us, you know, man would click. So it's all up front.
0: Now, Damien, I don't know if you've heard this, but uh, – Lumen Field, where you guys play your home games, can be fairly loud. The The crowd can be be excited. Now, you played in a, a strange, your rookie year was a strange season in which you didn't have fans. Do you, do you think you're ready for how loud it might be there?
2: Oh, yes, sir. You know, fans don't distract me. You know, we had a lot of fans at LSU. You know, it's just a matter of You got to lock in, you know, hear the snap count, and, you know, just get out the ball. So when the time comes, be ready. Are you excited to hear how loud this home crowd might be for you guys? Yes, sir. First time walking on that field with the fans, you know, it's going to be amazing excitement. So, you know, I'm going to just go out there, you know, do me and just have fun. This is what it's all about.
1: I love this text that we got, Damien, 710710. 710. Damien Lewis sounds like the guy I want to be cooking at the crawfish boil. And as someone <laughs> who lived in, uh, on the Gulf Coast, I love me some crawfish. Is that your number one go-to food when, when you're going
2: back home? Oh, no doubt. Crawfish, potatoes, and eggs. I don't know about that on the side. That's great. Do you boil them up? What's
0: the best way to cook a crawfish?
2: Uh, you put some hot sauce on them. When they come out, you put some hot sauce on them. Add some more spice. Get your eggs and potato. Put some hot sauce on those. Just put them in a bag. Stir them up, and then you go to work. Oh, that
0: sounds amazing. <laughs> That's, that sounds fantastic for me. David, what was the? If I asked you the biggest lesson you learned in your first year in the NFL, the biggest thing that you took away from it, what what would that be? What was the what what was the thing that maybe changed or that you learned the most last year?
2: Well, the thing that I learned was just paying attention to the details. You know, the little thing that count. You know, hand placement. You know, the way of talking. Just you know and with other guys things on the field that I can you know use on the fi- use on the field so I think paying attention to details a lot of stuff that you know I catch on and put it on the field
1: there are some incredible defensive linemen in the NFC West and obviously you've seen firsthand Aaron Donald now JJ Watt joins the Arizona Cardinals Nick Bosa is going to be back from injury. When you're going up against defensive linemen that are that good, what's the biggest key to making sure that you are going to keep them away from number three?
2: Oh, yeah. When, you know, game changes, me versus you. You know, who, gonna, who it going to be? So, you know, I know that for sure that I don't want y'all to touch my quarterback, so I'm going to be here, and the rest of the four going to be here, so we're going to protect all day all along gonna be my last
0: question for you Damien offensive line is one of the hardest positions to evaluate in part because most of us watching don't really we don't know all of the different schemes that you're asked to fulfill all of the different things you do it's also that you don't have stats right like best thing for a running back is a touchdown quarterback is a touchdown pass defensive back it's an interception what's the most satisfying thing for an offensive lineman like what's the thing when you do that you're like oh yeah that's what thing fulfills you the most on a football field
2: uh actually I enjoy it at all, you know, scoring tear down, running tear down. Long I'm taking care of my man, you know, blocking him, putting him in the ground. I'm jumping up, having fun, you know, going to celebrate with my teammates and you know, enjoy the moment. Now, that's an offensive
0: lineman. It doesn't say I'm gonna put him on the ground. I'm gonna put him in the ground. I'm not gonna just put him on i am I'm gonna put him in the ground. That's an offensive lineman mentality.
2: Yes, sir. Definitely. Gotta stay
1: locked in. We hope to see you and all the other guys on the offensive line flatten some fools this season, Damian. Best of luck, and and, and good luck to the rest of this training camp.
2: Yes, sir. Thanks.
0: That is Damian Lewis, your left guard going forward. Played some right guard last year. A huge cornerstone for this Seahawks offensive line that was improved, that was better last year. We hope takes another step this season. It is Danny and Gallant. We got Brock Hewitt. He joins us next for Blue 42.